In Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah. We're going to do, hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, 7, 8, and 9 tonight. Um, starting in chapter 10, Jeremiah changes a little bit here in the way the studies go. Most of the time, the passages we're familiar with in Jeremiah start in chapter 10 on. Chapter 10 starts to get to be a little bit more symbolism, a little bit more of a story, etc. So this is the last teaching here for a while of this, what you would call prophetic word, of where God is saying to Jeremiah, speak these things. It changes a little bit in chapter 10. So we're going to finish up here 7, 8, and 9. Now, the way we've been doing these studies is we've been trying to look at the key things. And really what it comes down to, and you can look at the top of your sheets here, there are three key passages that describe what we're going to go through tonight. First one is found in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. Very simply put, this is what God says, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, and it will be well with you. Now, how simple of a verse is that? You do what God asks... Things go better. It's that simple. We have a little phrase we use at home at the Irvin household. When you obey, you don't get disciplined. When you disobey, you get disciplined. It's not a difficult concept. It's the same thing happens in life. When I obey, things go better. Now, when I say things go better, I'm not saying new cars pull into my driveway and money falls out of the sky. I'm saying that there's this spiritual blessing of things going better, of just, Lord, yes, the situations in my life may be difficult, but I have joy in you no matter what the circumstances are. One of my favorite praise songs, you know, is Blessed Be the Name. And every time we sing that, like we sang out here tonight, I always think of those words. You know, you give and you take away, you know, but blessed be the name of the Lord. There's difficult situations out there, and those difficult situations, they pull us down. But even when they pull us down, there's an underlying joy There's an underlying understanding of God, I am yours, and you're helping me through this. Where does that come from? Verse 23, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in all the ways I have commanded you, and it may be well with you. Look at the two words in that phrase, obey and walk. Obey denotes listening to what God has to say. Walking then denotes action and doing what he says. Sometimes as Christians, we do one, but we don't do both. I know a lot of Christians that do a lot of walking, But they're not listening to where God is calling them to walk. But they're sure moving out there, doing things for the Lord. Sometimes good, sometimes not. I know a lot of Christians that are listening. But they listen, and they don't do anything about it. So there's a lot of, I know what the Lord wants me to do, followed by no action. So in verse 23, you see the listening, followed by the action. That's what God wants. The problem is, that's not what Israel wants. What does Israel want? Look at verse 24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. I like how the New Living Translation says, and I put this on your sheets there, but my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following their stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backwards instead of forward. That's the problem with human nature. I know what God wants me to do. I've shared this with you out here many times. Generally speaking, when someone comes into my office and they say something to the fact of, I don't know what God wants me to do. I say, what's the situation? They tell me the situation, and then I ask them, what do you think the Lord wants you to do? 99 times out of 100, they say, well, I think the Lord probably wants me to do this. And they're right. There's very few times in life 
But we really don't know what the right choice is. Now, you may be having a hard time deciding about God's will. You may be having a hard time deciding, should I do this? But when it comes to simple questions, is this right or is this wrong? Usually, they're not that difficult to figure out. What was happening in Israel in verse 24, they knew what was wrong, and they still went ahead and did it, and they don't care. Look at verse 3 of Jeremiah chapter 8. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family who remain in all the places where I have driven them. Very simply put in verse 3, Israel was choosing death over life. Anytime we choose to do something that is not in line with the word of God, we're choosing death instead of life. And we sit here and we wonder, why is my world falling apart? Because we're choosing death instead of life. One more key passage before we move on. Jump ahead to Jeremiah 9, please. What is the result of these choices? Verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 9. And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, false gods, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, the people with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink, bitter water. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Now, if you just read... Verses 13 through 16, boy, God sounds like a grouch. I mean, he really does. And that's the problem with the Bible. Sometimes we look at these passages and we say, okay, it's really hard to, there's a God of the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to consume you. I'm going to give you bitter water to drink. Same thing happens today. People get upset at God. Well, if God is so great and loving, why does he allow this to happen? If God's so wonderful, why do all these things happen? See, if you only look at verses 13 through 16 of Jeremiah 9, you don't realize that way back in Jeremiah 7, God says, if you just obey me, you won't be judged. You don't read in Jeremiah 8 and Jeremiah 7 that Israel said, I'd rather sin. I remember when I first took over here out here at pastor, 12 years ago, actually now almost 13 years ago, there was a situation that I kind of inherited that was going on from when Jim was pastor. And so I kind of inherited this situation. And I went in to being a pastor, obviously very naive in the sense of things were just very black and white. And I still believe most things are very black and white, obviously, according to the scriptures. But I inherited this situation. And I remember talking to this guy doing counseling. And what he was doing wasn't right. It wasn't biblical. It did not line up with passages. And I remember sitting down doing counseling with him because I kind of took over once Jim stepped down. And I remember looking at him and he said what he was doing. And I remember saying to him, but the Bible says that's wrong. And he goes, I don't care. And I didn't know what to say to that. And I still, even to this day sometimes, even though I've seen a lot and been around a lot, when I run into somebody and I say, but you know what, the Bible says that's wrong. And they say, I don't care. Wow. What a hard place for your heart to be. To willfully realize the actions and choices you're making in life are wrong, but you still don't care. Israel reached a point where they knew what they were doing was wrong, and they just didn't care. Look once again at your sheets at Jeremiah 7.24, the New Living Translation. But my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following their stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. That's a scary place to be. The result of that will always be judgment. But before you get to that judgment, always remember God is saying, change. 
See, this is God's desire. Look at our next thing. What God wants us to do, look at verse 3 of Jeremiah 7. He wants to amend our ways. Now, that word amend is not a word we use a lot in our present English. We mostly use the word change. But this word amend is important. Look at Jeremiah 7, 3. Look at God's desire. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. God is simply saying, make the changes in your life that need to be changed, and the judgment won't come. What are the changes that need to happen? Verse 4, do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Real quick, if you ever see something in the Bible, and we just talked about this Sunday, if you see God say it once, it's important. If he says it twice, it's really important. If he says it three times, he's really trying to bring your attention to something. So in verse 4, where three times in a row, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, what he's saying is people back then, that's all they would talk about, the temple of the Lord. I've run into many people that I do not believe, and I'm not being judgmental, you can hate me if you want, I believe their walk with God is very shallow. But... The words they use about God, my goodness, they're talking about God all the time. Everything is about God. Everything is about God and what he's doing and God and how much he cares and obeying the Lord, etc. It's a verse 4. They are talking about God. They're talking about God a lot, but there is no deep relationship. See, in verse 4, the people just kept saying the temple of the Lord. That's all it's about. But their heart wasn't there. God wants their heart. Look at verse 5. If you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers, forever and ever. God says, if you change your ways... You won't be judged. Now, this is not salvation based on works. What this is, is their heart is right with the Lord, and they want to do what's right. This is not, okay, God, I read my Bible, and everything's going to be good. This is not, okay, God, I prayed a whole lot. Everything's going to be good. This is, in my heart, I want to be closer to you, so I'm changing what I do because I want to be like you. If you're just doing things to get in God's good graces, that's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. When I first got saved, I thought it was a really simple equation. The more I prayed, the more I read, the more I witnessed, the better things would go in my life. Then the less I prayed, the less I read, and the less I witnessed, the worse things would go in my life. Almost this karma attitude. And I really struggled with that for the longest time. Because what would happen is I would guilt myself. It's like, oh my goodness, I didn't read a lot today. If I don't read a lot today, tomorrow's not going to go good. So we had this legalism. And I remember distinctly, it was the Easter Sunday... Easter Sunday of 1994. I've been walking with the Lord for just a few months. And Easter Sunday, this is my first Easter as a born-again Christian. So I was expecting, I don't know, the most epiphany of all Easter's. Jesus is going to return, I don't know. So I had what I call my worst weekend in life in that weekend. Just a weekend of making stupid choices and, and a just full of just sin. So much so that when Jim was doing communion on Sunday Easter morning, you know, he always went through that passage of let a man examine himself before he take of the body and the blood, etc. And I examined my heart before I took communion, and I realized I was in sin. I realized I was in rebellion, and we were in the, and we were in the library at the uh, high school. And I remember getting up and leaving, thinking, Lord, I can't even take communion. And I snuck out of church because I thought, I just I can't. So went to school a couple days later went into Jim's classroom, and, and I said, and I had a wonderful day. 
And I went into him and I said, I don't get this. I don't get this. I, I will pray. I will read. I will share the Lord. Things go bad. I come off a three, four day of just utter stupidity. And God gives me a great day. I said, I don't get this. And I remember at that time, Jim very simply telling me, he goes, God just wants your heart. And I thought, boy, that just hit me. See, what was happening here in verses 5, 6, and 7, they're not getting blessing because of what they do, but by them doing 5, 6, and 7, they have the heart. The heart's in the right spot. Flip, if you will, to Genesis 4 real quick. Genesis 4. Let's talk about somebody that had actions without the right heart. Genesis 4. As we're going to Genesis 4, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything that we covered here thus far? All right, Genesis 4. Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. This is obviously a very sad chapter. This chapter shows us and proves to us that the reason people sin is not because necessarily the influences they have in their life. We sin because there's sin nature deep down inside of us. We like to blame things for sin when really it comes down to I am born a sinner and I am a sinner. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again this time her brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. If you like little tidbits of information, we don't know this for sure, but a lot of people believe that Cain and Abel were twins. And the reason they believe Cain and Abel were twins because if you look in verse 1, it says that Adam and Eve conceived and then bore a son and then they had another son. There's no in a point there about conceiving another son. Tidbit information, some people think that Cain and Abel were twins. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now we know this. What happened was Cain brought something he worked on. He brought his works before the Lord. He tilled the ground. He farmed this. He harvested this. He brought this to the Lord. God said, I don't want your works. This is a picture of salvation. You can't work your way into heaven. He doesn't want your works. What did Abel bring? Abel brought a lamb, a sacrifice. What is Jesus? The lamb that was offered for our sins. So Abel's offering represented a sin being taken care of. The lamb was slain. The blood of the lamb covered Abel's sin. Cain was trying to make peace with God based on what he did. Well, Cain, instead of looking at Abel and saying, gosh, I can learn from this, Cain got angry. Verse 5, do we not see that today in the church still? When things aren't going right for me spiritually, instead of stopping and saying, Lord, what am I doing wrong? I just get angry. Maybe I need to stop and say, Lord, why are things not clicking? Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well... Sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. Right there, verse 7. As long as you are walking in the flesh in this world, sin will always try to bring you down. It always will. There will be a battle until your first breath in heaven of you and the Holy Spirit living inside of you versus sin. It always will. But the reason I took you to this passage, that word well, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And the Hebrew, that's the exact same word as amends in Jeremiah chapter 7. So in Jeremiah 7, when God is saying, if you make amends, things will be okay. Thousands of years before this, he told Cain the same thing. If you make amends, if you do what is right, if you do what is good, 
Things will go good. That word, well, that word amends means right. But it has a deeper meaning in the Bible. The Hebrew language is so much more deep than our English language. That word also means beautiful. How simple is that? If I do what is right, it's a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. And when if I do what is right, verse 7, will I not be accepted? If I do what is right, Jeremiah 7, why not miss judgment? Just think right now. Don't be judgmental, but just think. Think of somebody you know very well. Maybe it's a loved one, a co-worker, family member, and they're making choices in their life that do not line up with God's will. Right now, their life is probably not very beautiful. Their life is probably not going very well. There's a lot of struggles, a lot of problems, because when we get off the track of what God wants, bad things happen. That's just what Jeremiah is trying to tell them, is, guys, when you don't do what God wants, the rough things happen. Now, real quick, any questions, comments about that before we move on? Okay, let's finish this up here real quick. Jump back to Jeremiah 7 real quick. The problem was, and we're running out of time here, so we're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit. The problem was Israel was a bunch of hypocrites, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Jeremiah 7 says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? Then come and stand before me in the house which is called by my name and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I even I, I have seen it, says the Lord. That's just hypocrisy. These guys are going out and doing any type of sexual morality that they can. They were living their lives any way they want. They were doing spiritual adultery. And then they show up at the temple and say, God's with us. You realize nothing has changed in thousands of years? I mean, seriously, nothing has changed. You see all these sins in the world. You see all these horrible things bringing down the world today. And as Christians, we make a comment about abortion. We make a comment about homosexuality. We make a comment about, you know, radical Islam, etc. Do you realize all those things have been happening for thousands of years just under a different name? And what you see right here, this hypocrisy of I'm going to live the life I want, but then I'm going to show up at the temple and say everything's cool between me and God. Same thing still happens today. I'm going to live the life I want. I'm going to be the type of person I want at school, but I'll be different at church. I'll be the type of person at work, but I'll be different at church. I'll be different at home. I can't wait till I can get home to be who I really am. That hypocrisy. God says, that can't be that way. Look at his response, verse 12. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. This is what we'll finish with since we're running short on time. Go to 2 Samuel 4. God says, you want to know what I think of hypocrisy? He says, go look at what I did at Shiloh. Well, let's see what he did at Shiloh. Actually, it's 1 Samuel 4. Excuse me, please. 1 Samuel chapter 4. What happened at Shiloh? What you have here in 1 Samuel 4, you have a story of hypocrisy. Israel and the Philistines were battling. And what happened, you can see here in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 4. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Amphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in the battle array against Israel. When they had joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Remember that number, 4,000 men. That's a pretty big defeat. Israel just got whooped by the Philistines here. 4,000 men dead. When the people had come to the camp, verse 3, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Good question. If we're God's people, why did 
4,000 people just get killed. Verse 3. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from, here's our word, Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us and may save us from the hand of our enemies. Okay, that sounds good. We lost. The Ark wasn't with us. The Ark represented God's presence. So let's go get the Ark, and then let's go into battle. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophna and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is going good. Verse 5. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They're ready. They're excited. They realize God's presence is with them. The ark is there. They're shouting so loud. Verse 6, Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does that sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark had come into the camp. Look at verse 7. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us for such a thing. Has never happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now stop right there. Promise me you're not going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. Okay, some of you are already lying. I don't like you. But the problem, okay, if you'd stop right at verse 8, this sounds really good. 4,000 men died. What went wrong? We didn't have the ark. Go get the ark. The ark shows up. I mean, this is this Hollywood moment. You hear the music coming. The ark appears. Verse 5, everybody's shouting. I mean, so loud that the earth is shaking. The Philistines hear this. Verse 6 and 7 and 8, they are scared. They know what God has done. So what happens in verses 9, 10, and 11 is you assume that Israel is going to go on and have this amazing victory. Verse 9, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Okay, 4,000 in verse 2 was a big defeat. Now, verse 10 30,000 died. Verse 11, also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas died. Now, if you just look at that, you scratch your head, you're saying, what went wrong? This, This sounds good. I get defeated in life. I realize I get defeated. What was wrong? I don't have the presence of God in my life. I need the presence of God. I need the ark in my life. I go get the ark. I call for the ark. So the ark comes to my house. The ark comes to my life here. And I say, Lord, I want this. You know what the name Shiloh means? Place of rest. See, doesn't this sound good? I call for the ark. So I ask for this place of rest. The ark shows up in my life. My life is a turmoil. I just got defeated. 4,000 died. So I have the ark in my life. I have rest. I go into battle. And I go into battle right here in verse 5. I am pumped. I'm excited about the Lord. Hands in the air. Praising and worshiping. God is good. I go into battle with the ark at the place of rest. And I come back and my butt gets kicked so bad. What went wrong? What went wrong was Israel put their faith in what? The ark, not in God. They put their faith in an item. They thought, oh, I just need my good luck charm, the ark. Now, we don't think that way today because we're obviously much, much, much too smart to think that in good luck charms. People still have good luck charms in their cars. I see them. 
I know some people that carry good luck charms in their pockets. I know some people that carry good luck charms around their neck. Now, they don't call them a good luck charm because, I mean, come on, we're all adults. But they have this feeling of it. I know people whose good luck charm is what? Let's just call the pastor and let's pray. Because obviously his prayers are more powerful than anybody else's prayers. That's not true. I know people whose good luck charm is, you know what? I have a really big day tomorrow. So instead of reading one psalm, God, I'm reading three psalms. Instead of praying for five minutes, I'm praying for 15 minutes tonight. I normally only ask my best friends to pray, but I'm going to put this on the prayer line. I'm putting this on Facebook. I'm praying that everybody, and I'm going to get everybody to pray because I got my Ark of the Covenant. I've covered all my bases, Lord. I got my good luck charms. I got my prayers. I got my whatever. The problem is you don't have the right heart. And so you can come in in verse 5 all you want. I'm going to do extra praise and worship. I'm going to raise my hands higher. I'm going to clap my hands louder. I'm going to jump up and down in church, and I'm going to be so pumped. I'm going to make sure that every thought I have is positive and good, and I'm not going to say anything negative. Every now and then I get called in to do a hospital visit. Generally speaking, it's not people really associated with Harvest. It's more one of those fringe things of, hey, can you go in and visit this family? They're really struggling. I go in, I meet the family, we introduce ourselves, and I hear them say something like this. We're only thinking positive thoughts. Boy, that hurts my heart. You can think all the positive thoughts you want in life. Really what it comes down to is your heart in line with the Lord. See, Israel got the ark. They're jumping up and down. They're excited. And 30,000 men died because God did not have their hearts. They had their little good luck charm. See, what's happening here in Jeremiah 7, 8, and 9 is Israel says, we're good. Remember back in verse 3? To the temple, to the temple, to the temple. We're good. We got the temple. Everything's great. You know what? Yeah, Lord, we know we're not We're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but we're going to the temple. Everything's great, Lord. Everything's going to be fine. I tell people all the time, if you think just showing up at church is going to fix all your problems... You're wrong. If you think by some little prayer, by some little word, by some little verse, you're wrong. It's a heart issue that needs to be addressed and it needs to be taken care of. Let's finish up with this real quick. Look at God's heart. What does he want? Jeremiah 7, verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. God says, for thousands of years I've been sending you prophets. Verse 6. You did not obey them or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. He says, I kept sending you people to listen. You rejected. Jeremiah 9, please, verse 23. What else does God want? Thus says the Lord, great refrigerator verse, I know we're running out of time. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Not let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glorifies glory in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. I love that verse. Don't get yourself all pumped up about everything you have. You got the ark, you're screaming, you're loud, you're jumping up and down, you're in Shiloh. Let's go fight the Philistines. 30,000 still die. It's not what you have, it's the Lord. Look at these things. Look at verse 24 one more time. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. God delights when you just know him and know him personally and spend time with him. Ah, that's what it comes down to. Last thing I'm going to say. I had a situation earlier this week. I got a new notebook. It's the beginning of the year. 
So I got my 2013 notebook. My notebooks are very, very important to me, as I've shared with you before. I carry one with me wherever I go. So I got, a, I got a one for at home. So when I do my devotions, because anytime I do devotions at home, I can always think of, okay, I need to contact this person. I need to do this. So I was getting ready to do my devotions. So I'm looking for my big 2013 notebook. So that way when I do my devotions, here are my notes, who I need to pray for, who I need to contact. I couldn't find my notebook. Couldn't find my notebook for the life of me. Looking all over for my notebook. Now, I have a very limited amount of devotion time in the morning because my kids are like dominoes. As soon as one wakes up, it just boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, there's five kids. Sometimes there's even more than five. I think they just come out of the woodwork. I don't know if they're mine or not. They want breakfast. They want food. They want this. You know, Dawn doesn't do anything at home. You know her, so I have to do everything. I can't find my notebook. Time is running out. I'm getting stressed. I feel the Lord lay on my heart. How about you just sit down and read? Lord, I can't read without my notebook. I can't take notes without my notebook. How how am I going to do this? So often, I get worked up because I don't have all my little I's dotted and all my little T's crossed. Really what the Lord says, James, how about you and I just spend time together? Just, Just talk to me. Just read with me. Yeah, you may not take the notes. You may not have the right pen to underline it. You may not be able to put it here. But just spend time with me. Boy, I think that's what it is. What does God delight in? Just delighting in us being with him. It's not the ark. It's not Shiloh. It's not the temple. It's just being with God. So I kept you guys late. Anybody got any final questions, comments? Here? Yeah, Ryan. I think it's pretty clear the uh, distinction between the Israelites and the Philistines. In verse 3, the Israelites say the ark of the covenant comes in Yeah, isn't that neat? That's a really good point, Ryan. That that is a really neat point. God departed. Yeah. They had more. They had more faith than what the Israelites did. And if you want to have a fun little study tonight, keep reading here in First Samuel five and six, and see what happens to the Philistines when when they keep the ark. It's actually, yeah, yeah not, well, no, we're not bringing in Harrison Ford. We're not going to do that. But First Samuel 5 and 6, but yes, see what happens. See what happens to the Philistines when they have the ark. It's actually, I, I think you can use the word, it's funny. It's funny. So, read that. Anybody got any final things I want to say before we close up? All right, let's let you go with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to delight in you. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, help us to delight in you and to have a heart a heart to serve you, Lord. Not the legalism, but a heart to do it. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Don't forget prayer quilt back there in the kitchen if you want to pray over that for Megan. You guys have a good week and God bless.